Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Thank you for listening to Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rowles. And I'm Jeff. Thanks so much to everyone who's been following along so far. It's been so much fun. Joe and I have been having a blast hanging out with you guys and just talking some ball. And we're going to do some more of that today. As always, if you have any questions after the episode, be sure to send us your questions at Jeffrey Essery on Twitter, at Joe Rowe underscore NFL, or at Cover 2 Broncos. We'll be happy to answer them right here on the show. And we actually have a lot of good questions pouring in for our topic today. Joe, set us up. What are we talking about? So last week we talked about Pat Shermer's passing attack. And uh, it only really made sense to dive a little bit deeper into the position that makes it all tick. So today we're... talking about the fullback, right? Yeah. No, we're we're turning away from Andy Janovich a little bit this week. And uh, we're actually going to take a look at Drew Locke. Before we get too deep on that, I just kind of wanted to going a little bit of a mini rant that I've now watched Drew Locke's tape, I think five times over in its entirety. And I've watched parts of the game six or seven times. And even now, every time I watch, I feel like there's things I just didn't pick up the first time. And it's kind of the nature of the beast. I think with watching quarterback is that it's both the hardest position to evaluate, but it's also the easiest position to watch. So everybody knows quarterbacks, but no one knows quarterbacks. Kind of a a caveat as we dive into this, but I think we're both figuring it out as we go. And I think everyone does that. I think that's one of the reasons why people missed on quarterbacks so much when it comes to draft. 
I think it's just it's a it's a tough position. It's kind of kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm glad you said that because that's you know what we're going to be doing on the show today and what we do kind of every week is just tell you what we see and that's what it is, what we see. And so you know, take it for what it is. We try to put as much research and you know digging into it as possible but at the end of the day it's our opinion on based on what we're seeing on the tape so love to hear your opinions as well on, on what you're seeing as you guys are out there you know seeing stuff and digging in the tape yourself and so and just have it as a big conversation so one thing i do feel pretty sure of though after watching Locke as much as i have is unless John Elway just completely pulls a rug out from underneath Denver i would bet money that Drew Locke is going to be the starting quarterback in 2020 what do you think yeah, absolutely. I would too. And even before Vic Fangio and Elway, essentially, I mean, Elway is still being a little bit coy about committing to him or whatever, but I think they've pretty much tipped their hand that he'll be the quarterback in 2020 for sure. And they're, you know, wanting him to be the quarterback moving forward for a long time. Yep. He proved me wrong because I said at the beginning of the season that really we weren't going to see enough of Drew Locke, even before he got hurt, that based on the way Denver was slow playing it, that we weren't going to be able to see enough of Drew Locke in the 2019 season to know if he's the guy or not. And so, you know, I was talking about what that would mean for draft implications this year, that Denver would potentially be in the QB market again, because there was just not a good way to get a read on Locke. I didn't think in a few games to really see what you got out of him. But in a five-game stretch, you know, he showed me, he proved me wrong and showed me that, he deserved a shot to start in 2020. I thought before the season, especially with the way it kind of went, he got hurt and he came in so late that we just weren't going to have any sort of real idea. And while I'm not ready to crown him and say that he's definitely the starting quarterback, starting franchise quarterback and the heir to Peyton Manning for the foreseeable future, the smart way to build going forward is to plan on him getting an extended run in 2020 and kind of go from there. That's kind of what makes this so fun now with this offseason is because a rookie quarterback is is the most valuable asset you can have in sports, period. Yeah. Drew Drew Locke is going to make I think 1.5 million dollars this year. And so if he can play at an average or better level, Denver is kind of in shape to really maximize all the, the space and the draft picks and everything they've been building for for the last couple of years. They could really really surprise some people this year and that's pretty exciting. If my math is correct, then Drew Locke, let's say the going rate for a quarterback is $30 million-ish. Drew Locke is on a 95% discount currently on his rookie contract. <laughs> if my math yeah. is correct, quick, just quick rough math. Uh, Jared Goff, I think, makes $36 million, his cap hit. And Jared Goff is not great. Jared Goff is pretty close to my definition of what an average quarterback is. And mm -hmm. that if you surround him with enough talent and you give him enough coaching, he's going to be okay. If he's lacking in any of those other areas around him, you start to really see it. And I think the Rams did that last year. So if that's what you're looking for as far as an average quarterback, I, I'm being optimistic, but I think if Locke works at it, he could reach that level. With that in mind, what did you see that you thought was really good this year? Yeah, so I'll start on the improvements that I saw and I thought his LA game actually was pretty good, especially coming out cold from being hurt, playing, you know, coming off the bench and jumping in with, you know, virtually no running game 
in that uh, game against L.A., you had Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram were just tearing Denver's offensive line apart. But I thought Drew Locke looked composed when he came out. His first throw, actually, I was a big fan of. I liked his start to the five-game stretch, but I thought that, and you and I have talked about this a little bit offline as well, Joe, is that I thought the improvements in the last two games, the Lions game and the Oakland game, not on the stat sheet. If you're if you're just looking at the box score, it looks like he had worse games, especially after that Houston explosion. But I thought the little things that he did better in the Lions game specifically, and then he looked good in the Raiders game too, showed me progression from where he was in the Chargers game, and specifically in the Kansas City game as well. And I think you can almost split up his five-game stretch. You know, it's a small sample size already, but I think if you wanted to, you could split it up as kind of pre-Kansas City and post-Kansas City, and you can see some marked differences between those two. And I kind of throw out Kansas City. We can talk about it, but I kind of throw out the tape for that just because of, one, how terrible it was, and then it was in the snow, and it was just kind of a train wreck of a game. But, I mean, there's some good learnings from it as well. But I think you could look at pre- and post-Kansas City as well. In watching Kansas City, the big thing that stands out to me that really makes it hard to get a really clear picture on lock with is the weather. And it's a bummer because Kansas City was that was the best team Denver played over that five game stretch. But it was also probably the best defense, which is kind of weird to say because I know like the common perception of Kansas City's defense has been that they were bad. But that secondary was legit and they had they had a lot of pieces. But the thing is with the weather, it was just so hard to tell how much lock struggles were due to inclement weather. But one thing that really stood out to me in that game is that's the game that it seemed like he really started to get punished for his eyes. The first two games of the year that I, the, and it was just, I got a lot of flack for this, but one of the big things that stood out to me when I watched the Houston game is even though Locke was getting away with a lot of his throws and some of his best throws of the year came in that game, he was using his primary read to the point where he was kind of telegraphing where he was going the, with the ball at times. And you could see Houston knew it. They just didn't have the pieces to do anything about it. They didn't have much of a pass rush and their secondary was pretty bad. So Denver, Denver was going to be able to exploit them. What was surprising about that game is the fact that Denver's defense played so well, which helped Locke get out to that huge lead. Yeah, and I think you could say the same thing a little bit about the Chargers game because of the turnovers that they had. I think that was the one where Draymond Jones took away yep. a screen pass from Phillip Rivers and set them up uh, like on the 20 or something. The defense and just the game flow helped Drew Locke out a ton in those first two games. I think it's a great point, and I don't think we can overstate enough. I was just watching it again last night. The Texans' defense was terrible in that game. It was so bad in terms of the you know, players just out of position or just the the alignments were not set up. Denver got away with – and it was, it was good play calling and good design by Denver, but they got away with several of you know the Snugs formation, Stacks, and they were just running stick routes and double stick on the goal line and getting away with stuff that they really never should have. And that's where some, they did some of their damage. It's, there was no Texan in sight. I'm thinking specifically of the Royce Freeman. Was it Freeman? It was one of the one of the backs that had um, a play down at the goal line. It was like a three-yard touchdown pass. And there was no one within you know, three, four yards of him, the safety was coming down from the middle of the field to cover the running back who was going on the out. And so 
yeah, the way the Texans play defense didn't give you a good read. I mean, obviously Locke made some great throws, but it didn't give you a good read on his decision-making. And to your point, Joe, I think it's a great one that he got away with stuff and could get away with just using his first read, and the defense didn't punish him for it. And Well, one of the things that stands out, too, uh, Jonathan Joseph uh, played for the Texans last year. He was 35. He got 30 snaps in Denver, and then he got 33 in Tennessee, and then they benched him. Essentially, he played six snaps and seven snaps to finish the season, and they moved away. They moved away from as much zone as they were using. Romeo Cornell was using a lot of zone because he had Jonathan Joseph, who couldn't really run anymore. And Denver kind of went into that, and they exploited that. And that's a good pivoting point for what did you see in those last two games that really stood out to you? Then, because I don't want to beat up on him too much for his first three starts being kind of rookieish. Because he was, he's a rookie, and he came in. He he was hurt. He missed all of camp. He didn't get to practice for a long time. I know this, but that also is what makes the last two games to me so encouraging. What do you think? Yeah, I think that the couple big things that stuck out to me, his footwork, and we'll talk about it when we get to the the bad section a little bit, or some of his weaknesses or areas for improvement. But his footwork has always been a little bit messy, and we saw that in the preseason, and even in those first two two games, he got away with some messy footwork and just you know arming throws in there. But in the Lions game specifically, and it carried over into the Raiders game, you began to see him improve even just over a three that three-game stretch, improve his footwork a little bit, and in terms of just stepping up in the pocket, navigating the pocket the way he's supposed to be instead of falling away, throwing off of his back foot. Now, he still did plenty of that, but there was some encouraging signs in, in development. One of the ones, I, I put it on a thread on Twitter of just kind of the little things that I saw out of the game, but specifically on the footwork side, there was a deep comeback to Hamilton on the left side, and Locke comes out of play action. It's a seven-step seven drop. He hitches a little bit, so we'll forgive him for that, but then, you know, seven-step drop, back foot on the ground, hitches, balls out, on time to Deshaun Hamilton, who is coming back for the ball, and it was a work of art the way it all came together because, and we've talked about this and this is, you know, something that you've talked about a lot, Joe, and um, maybe you could speak to it here is Locke isn't really a rhythm thrower so far that we've seen. He's more of a see it, throw it kind of guy. He doesn't, he hasn't thrown with a lot of anticipation in these last five games. And that's a big area of growth for him too. But that throw to be gave me a little bit of a glimpse and a big piece of it was cleaning up the footwork and being able to play, you know, on schedule in rhythm, with the in the Raiders game there. One of the big things I really liked about that Lions game is uh he had I think it was on the the touch the touchdown drive that initially the last it ended up being a I think a Royce Freeman touchdown run. He had a deep pass to start the drive where he he threw a deep pass to Cortland Sutton into double coverage. The safety broke on it because he was just a little probably a little bit late. After that play though, every single throw on that drive he was making another read. He was either reading the middle of the field and then finding his receiver, or he was starting with somebody and moving to somebody else. I loved that. And he was throwing people open. And there was a couple plays where it was his arm just giving him the talent to be able to do it. But Locke has so much arm talent that if he wins with his eyes and his feet, I mean, the sky is very high for him. He has a very, very high potential. It's one of the reasons why I thought he was going to be the 10th overall pick last year is because I thought Elway was going to fall for that. And that's the side of the game that I think he has the most room to improve. 
So seeing glimpses of that so early on is really, really encouraging. Yeah, I love that. Winning with your eyes and winning with your feet. And that's really, you know, about taking your game to the next level at the quarterback position. And the eyes portions, we talked a little bit about the feet, but the eyes portion to carry off of what you talked about with the Lions game, one of my favorite examples of that, and it's on that drive that you're talking about, is I think it's five wide, and he had a spacing concept out to the on the right side, and he started to work that. The Lions shut it down. I think he was looking for the curl, and the linebacker was there. So he immediately snaps off of it, comes over to the other side where he knows he has a levels concept and works the high-low, and he finds Deshaun Hamilton over the middle on a dig route. And it was a great throw, kind of in coverage, and he made a great throw, but the even better portion was the decision-making and the ability to start on one side of the field, work your way across, and it was essentially his, you know, probably third read on the play. And so I love that about the seeing him progress from a little bit what we saw. And it's not like he completely changed his game. There was still what we saw in those beginning games as well in Houston and LA. And it's not like LA and Houston were all bad either, but there was just little things that he's continuing to iterate on. And so I'm hoping with a full off season, new coaching staff, they can continue to coach him up on that. And we see some more big strides out of him. Well, that's, that's what you really hope for. I think with rookie quarterbacks, especially kind of thrown into the situation Locke was thrown into is flashes. And he was giving you flashes. Yeah, and one of the other things, too, you talked about throwing guys open, and he improved, I thought, a little bit with ball placement, too, and not only throwing guys open, but also protecting guys. There was one, I think it was the Raiders game, where I think it was Hamilton who was coming across the middle, and if he leads him, he leads him right into a safety, into a massive hit, and so he took some heat off of it and threw it to the back shoulder where it was essentially behind Hamilton, and so he was able to turn around, catch it, and protect himself. He still took a shot, but it's those little things as well as not only throwing guys open, but also protecting your guys and putting it in a place potentially where only your guy can get it. And it's those little things, the little nuances, as opposed to just you know ripping it in there. Building off of that, one thing I noticed too, because I had to watch some Joe Flacco a couple weeks ago, and then I moved back to Locke to finish the last, you know, this last couple weeks. And one thing that really stands out to me, and the way that Locke was an improvement over Flacco, is the fact that he he wasn't afraid to make the mistake, and that's good and bad. He gets himself into trouble a couple times because of it, because he just lets it go. But there were times, and we'll, we're going to get to this in a second. But there are times where Flacco sits in the pocket waiting for someone to be so wide open. And because of it, there's no way the protection is going to hold up. It's just not its not realistic to ask your protection to do that for you. And I think that was one of those reasons why Locke's sack rate was so low. They played a lot of quick games, so they were getting rid of the ball out of his hands fast. He's mobile enough to, that he moved around in the pocket. But the other thing that really stood out in this way is the fact he was willing to get rid of the ball. And if he made a mistake and he missed... He made a mistake and he missed, but he wasn't going to just hold on the ball and take sacks. Yeah, and that's a big piece because it goes to kind of the big conversation that I'm glad we're beginning to shed light on just in terms of the overall football conversation is that sacks aren't just an offensive line stat. They're primarily a quarterback stat in terms of how well they're able to get rid of the ball, how well they're able to see you know blitzes pre-snap and things like that. And Drew Locke, I saw one, I'm remembering one particular coverage sack where he did hang on to it too long, but those were few and far between, particularly when you compare him to Flacco. And so 
yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good trade-off, specifically when you see that he only threw three interceptions. And the interceptions weren't really that he was just trying to get rid of the ball and, you know, all of that. And so I like what he's shown in that regard, too, of being okay either throwing it away or checking it down. But he's not just going to hang in there and take sacks. And his mobility certainly helps him in that regard, too. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And I mean, if you really want to see the contrast, watch watch Locke against... I would say even watch him against Kansas City because that was a bad game for him. He did take some sacks. But then go back and watch Joe Flacco's game against the Packers, and you really see the difference between a sack because of an offensive lineman and a sack because of the quarterback because almost at least half of the sacks Flacco took in that game, and I think he took seven. At oh. least half of those were on him, probably more. He, he had some just terrible plays in that game. But anyway, so I'm not, I don't want to just beat up on Flacco. That's too easy. What are things that you hope that Locke can improve on? Yeah, I think the footwork's an easy one. That's the low-hanging fruit and probably the biggest opportunity for him to really take his game to the next level. It's the, it's muscling the throws in with his arm instead of setting his feet. There was one, I think, that you showed me on a rollout. There was a couple rollouts that he missed actually rolling to his right, and you would think, you know, big-arm quarterback – You get him in Scangarello's offense. He's perfect for the boot game and all of that. And on those rollouts to his right, it was the the very first game against L.A. We were all waiting for it. He had Hireman wide open, and he misses him by a mile above, and it was high and behind him because he didn't square his hips to the receiver, and he's just slinging with his arm. And there was a couple times, I think one in the red zone that you were showing me, that he did that as well. And so I think that's a big opportunity, particularly as he – continues to move he's got a great ability to throw off platform but i think he's got to get better about setting his feet and getting into a rhythm and maybe adding on to that a little bit more it's not just footwork in general but i think footwork and timing and getting into a rhythm on the offense and pat Shermer is going to require that of him with the quick passing game of Shermer. you know in order to kind of bring it to its best effectiveness you've got to be able to get the ball out of your hands quickly and throw on time for some of those routes you think of some of the you know the slant flat concepts and things like that that Shermer likes to run it's going to be imperative for Locke to get into a rhythm and stay on schedule and throw with timing and anticipation and not just seeing it and slinging it in there Honestly, Detroit is another good example of this too and I think this is the play I showed you he he's in the end, he's in the red zone they're in a pistol set, and they, they motion Fant across. So it's a two-by-one, and then two in the backfield, 21 personnel. And Locke kind of boots out to the right. Not a not a play fake, but just a boot moving over. And he's late on the throw. He should have let it go earlier. And then when he makes the throw, his feet are pointing in a different direction than where his, his arm is. And it just looks like his feet and his arm are just not connected. And that really improved, but that was a big concern of mine when I watched him in the preseason. And that was a big concern of mine back when I watched him at Missouri. And so that's a that's an area where he he needs to improve quite a bit. And there's 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 hints of it, 
But even in Detroit, and even I think in the Raiders game, there's some plays where you can see that show up. The other big one that I – it was a big concern of mine even in the first two games, and I did think it improved quite a bit, is he was drifting in the pocket. You mentioned this too. It really shows up when he's feeling some sort of pressure. And even if the pressure's not on him, but if he just feels like it's coming down on him, he kind of does a fadeaway as he's throwing. It almost looks like a – like a kind of like LeBron or like Kobe. And the problem when you do that is you're throwing off your back foot. You're, you're relying on your arm, and what ends up happening is the ball will sail. And because of that, it hurts your accuracy, so then it's harder to complete passes. And I think that was a big reason why Drew Locke had trouble against pressure last year. That was a notable weakness watching him, is when he felt pressure, his accuracy suffered quite a bit. Yeah, and I think one of the other things, too, that sticks out to me in that regard, and it would be a growth area for Locke, is I don't know how much freedom or autonomy he has pre-snap or what he's doing or being asked to do pre-snap. And and to me, that's one of the biggest pieces when we all know as Denver fans watching Peyton Manning is the pre-snap phase is just as important as what happens post-snap from a quarterback's perspective and can completely change how you play the game. And I don't know how much Locke is... You know, doing that. There was a couple plays that stuck out where it looked like he checked to a different play because of a box count and things like that. But then there's some other ones where there are some blitzes where he probably should have seen them coming or the protection probably should have gotten changed. So I don't know if that's on Connor McGovern, if he's calling out those protections or Locke is being asked to do that or is expected to do that and he just wasn't. But I think that's a big growth area too because eventually you want that your quarterback to be able to see those call those out and you know either change the play at the line or be prepared to get the ball out when they see the blitz is coming and so I think protections and pre-snap reads is something that any young quarterback is going to struggle with but I think that's an area of growth for Locke too under Shermer. Just just wondering do you think that might be one of the reasons why all the rumors about Denver and Connor McGovern not being on the same page. Do you think that might be a reason why they don't want to bring him back? I'm not sure. It was, I know when Garrett Bowles talked about it, he spoke highly of Connor McGovern kind of running the show and calling everything out. But there were several plays that I noticed that it, it felt like people were left on an island and it, it wasn't their fault. You know, they make it credited for allowing a sack or allowing the pressure, but really it was the protection that was the issue. And look, I'm not an offensive line expert or protection expert, but at least. To my naked eye, it looked like they should have adjusted the protection based on the way the rush was coming. And so, yeah, I'm not sure. That may be a, a Munchak call after he, after seeing you know some of the tape or, or from what McGovern did last season. I'm not sure. Yeah. This is getting off track of it a little bit. But I know there's, there's a lot of rumors going on about how Pat Morris is going to possibly be the center. And I think if he's better at picking up calls, even if he doesn't necessarily have the same physical talent McGovern does, that might represent an upgrade that way. And I don't know if he can or not, but just speculating, just kind of throwing it out there. But that's that's for our offensive line episode. Uh, yeah, that's a teaser for in a couple episodes when we dig into the offensive line. Yeah. So the question I had for you also is, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about the bad and a little bit of the good of what we liked. But from a concept standpoint, what did you see on tape that Locke really did well with, um, whether it was against specific looks or even just offensive concepts that you would think Shermer would try to incorporate or that Locke performed well with? And there was, was there any defensive looks that maybe gave him some trouble? So I really liked how he looked on quick outs. I thought he did a really good job on throws over the middle, flat throws. He, he had a couple really, really nice corner routes. Shermer loves flats, and Shermer loves slants. And Locke is money on those, so that'll be good. Yeah, I think, too, on the other side, he did well on some of those 
crossers over the middle, whether it was on Yankee concepts. I, mean, I think they ran about five different Yankee concepts and, and had some big plays on them. And, and so the Yankee concept for uh, those that may not know, it's you got the it's essentially a two man combination. Typically, it's run after after the off of a play action or like a condensed formation. You've got two receivers, one on either side, and you've got a post route. And then the other receiver comes across the field underneath the post, essentially on like a, a deep crosser. And Locke was extremely good at hitting the deep crosser, you know, after he had gone through a couple of the the linebacker windows. Now those need some time. There was one particularly the Houston game where he had a, a blitzer bearing down on him, the, the safety was on a green dog blitz and Jeff Hireman stayed in to block. And so the blitzer came and lock, he faded away. Like you talked about Joe, this one, he actually got away with it, uh, faded as he felt the blitz and was able to, you know, muscle the throw in and hit, I think it was Beck perfectly in stride on the crosser across the field. It was a great throw. And so I liked him on those type of throws. It, It was better. I thought when he was in the pocket, on those kind of throws as opposed to rolling out. And we talked about his struggles rolling to the right on those kind of deep crossers. But I thought that was a good one as well. And then you mentioned some of the, the out concepts. Some of those came off a double stick. And that's where, you know, you've got the, the stick route from either the tight end or the inside receiver on a stack formation. And then the other one just essentially runs a speed out or a flat. And those Denver ran those in the red zone a lot. And I think that was a good, a good one essentially where you've got a pick route. You've got the inside guy picks the goes up. It's what the chiefs do all the time as well. You know, Kelsey kind of goes up and he'll just turn around and get in the way of anybody right there. And then the underneath guy will come underneath him. And so he's got a free release and Denver, I thought did well with those Locke seemed to like those and, um, performed well. They got a touchdown on on one of them in the red zone. So I think we'll see those continue as well. I hope Shermer incorporates some more of those. One other thing that I think is going to be really encouraging with Shermer too is Locke definitely looks more comfortable when he's in the gun than when he was under center. And Shermer, you told me about this before, that Shermer was using close to 70% shotgun at one point. Yeah, yeah, with Daniel Jones. And I think that's something that with Locke, it, it kind of alleviates some of the concern with his footwork because he looked more comfortable in empty. He looks more comfortable in three by one shotgun sets. And both of those are big things that Shermer likes to use. So we do have one last piece that I wanted to make sure you got a chance to talk about Joe. Cause um, you and Joe Mahoney from mile high report dug in and really looked at locks deep passing before we get into kind of a quick hit question round where we'll get to the reader questions, but can you talk us through a little bit about what you discovered as you dug into that? Mile High Reports' Joe Mahoney brought it to my attention a little while ago that Locke had some really bad deep passing woes. He actually wrote a piece about it, I think, last week, so if you haven't seen it already, you should definitely check it out. Locke was noticeably worse than both Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen when it came to completing deep passes last year. Both the veterans completed more than 40%. Locke completed 6 of 23. That's not good. So I went so I went and tried to figure out why. And I actually ended up watching every single throw that he made that was more than 20 yards, including ones that were taken away by penalties to try and see if there was any any kind of things that carry over between them. So here are a couple of things I noticed, and I made note of it. It's really easy, and everyone's gonna blame Locke's issues on the receiving core because it was Cortland Sutton and kind of a bunch of guys. And I love Tim Patrick. I like Deshaun Hamilton, but they're not Cortland Sutton. So I get that that's gonna be an easy kind of area to blame. But here's the thing. They weren't really at fault for many of them. 
Booker had a drop in the Lions game on third and seven off a mesh route uh, where he was on an RB wheel. There was a play in the Lions game where Tim Patrick didn't get to where Locke led him. Like, he just didn't get separation from the corner well enough that he could get the pass. Yeah, but other than those, it just wasn't really their fault. There was actually a throw to Sutton, too. So it's it's not e- it's not as easy as just saying that it's the receiver's fault. So anyway, a vast majority of the deep passes came off first reads. That's not really a surprise. Most quarterbacks. He, here's the thing with first reads, and I'm this is kind of a tangent. Most quarterbacks throw to their first read more than often than they don't. That's just a fact. So when I, when we say that Locke was dependent on his first read, it's not necessarily a knock that he looks and throws to his first receiver because usually you win pre-snap, and that's the guy that the design was to get open. But a vast majority of his deep, deep throws were off first read, and when he had to go to his second read on those deeper throws, you started to notice his footwork. And there's the other thing. His footwork in a lot of his big throws, even in the Raiders game, were issues. He he was fading away a little bit. His feet weren't connected to his arm. And that ended up hurting his accuracy and the balls were sailing. And one of the, my big concerns kind of going forward with Locke is that might just always be a thing. And you kind of have to take the good with the bad. And then the last thing is, and you already alluded to this a little bit, but he is a see-it-throw-it passer at this point in his career. When he was flashing some of those anticipatory throws... His placement wasn't always there. It's a good sign that he's trying to do it, but it was kind of a process over results thing. So it's kind of one of those things we have to see if he improves on this now with more time to work on it this offseason. Yeah, and I think just one, I think that's a massive undertaking. And so thanks for digging into that. It's a, some really great insights on that. And like Joe said, if you haven't seen Joe Mahoney's, the other Mile High Report to Joe's piece on that, go check it out. I will. I think I'll push back a little bit on the receiving core piece only because there was a couple throws. And, and I think I mean, I'll qualify it with, I don't know that it's necessarily the receiving core's fault, but I think they did struggle from a lack of just timing and chemistry, I guess you could say on some of those deep plays. And it felt almost like, and it's not a good comparison to use the 2015 Peyton Manning, but it was when, like when Peyton Manning in 2015 would have those guys open down the sideline and he was just, you know, that close to getting them on, on a couple of those plays. And I don't think you know, rarely ever really did dial it in because of some of the physical limitations we saw. But it felt like a couple of those big plays were there for the taking and Locke was making the right read and he was putting the ball in a good spot. It was just off a little bit. So I'm thinking specifically of the one deep, and I think it was either the, it was probably the Chargers game, to Noah Fant where Fant didn't adjust in uh, mid-air. I think he was looking for it on his inside shoulder. Locke tried to drift it to the outside shoulder. And that was the one on the broadcast that it made Fant look terrible. And I don't know that it was necessarily you know his fault or all the blame should be placed on him but it's just yeah they're not on the same page same thing it was Locke's first throw of his career to Cortland Sutton they had Cortland matched up on a linebacker I put this on my on my Twitter feed on the thread that I made on Locke they had Sutton on a linebacker he ran a slot fade and Locke smartly tries to lead him away from the middle safety and goes to the outside shoulder And it looked like Sutton was looking for it on his inside shoulder or at least over his head because he was open. And so a couple of those, again, that's not that's not going to make up for the six out of was it 23 that you mentioned. Um, 
So, you know, that's not going to make up for all of them, but I do think there is some potential there in the in the deep passing game that just wasn't realized because of chemistry and getting on the same page. There was another one. It's not a deep pass, but it was in the red zone. It was kind of the fade, the corner fade to Fant. And I thought, you know, Locke's placement on it was perfect. He dropped it to the back pylon, and Fant just didn't go up and get it. And so some of it, to me, can be attributed a little bit to maybe, you know, Fant's ball skills or just lack of chemistry on the guys on the outside. But definitely agree that's one of the big areas that he has – to improve upon because if you look at the numbers and you take a look at next gen stats kind of breakdowns on Locke specifically he's at the bottom of the league in completed air yards per attempt and intended air yards per attempt I think he's at the bottom pretty close to the bottom of the league in air yards to the sticks as well and so at this point in his career He's a short passing guy, and he's had, just because he hasn't had a lot of success deep, we saw some success intermediate, but they were throwing so much short on a lot of those screen passes, and if maybe you know, potentially Skangarillo trying to protect Locke, that his numbers from a you know, deep passing perspective or even just air yards perspective look pretty pretty shaky. And so if if just taken at its face value, it would look like Locke was, we'd be really down on Locke. You have to temper it with some of the things we, you know, you see on tape that it's not necessarily all, you know, doom and gloom in terms of the deep passing. There's some opportunities for him to get out of it. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. What I was trying to say when I said you can't just blame the receiving core. I don't think it's an issue that necessarily is just going to improve because you draft, say, a Henry Ruggs. It's one of those things where, yeah, timing and chemistry is a big part of it. So I definitely agree with you there. I just don't think it's as simple as saying, well, Deshaun Hamilton sucks. They should just replace him. I don't think that's the issue. Yeah, no, great, I, great point. Great point. I think you touched on a really good point about the fact that Drew Locke right now, with the next-gen stats, he's not a deep passer. And when I was watching the Giants, that's one of those things that really stood out to me between Daniel Jones and... Andrew Locke, I would say up in two twenty yards, Drew Locke was probably a little better than Daniel Jones, really comparable. But when it comes to his deep passing game, Daniel Jones was just on kind of another level. And it really stands out. Like you see like the Darius Slayton throws where Daniel Jones has kind of had a feel for deep passing in a way that Locke didn't. And that might just very well be a fact that A, Denver didn't have an offensive line to really give him the time to comfortably set up those deeper plays. But also the fact that Locke just didn't have that chemistry that you were alluding to to kind of connect on deeper plays. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not as easy as just having a big arm. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think a lot of people, and we saw this with the Joe Flacco when he was brought in to Denver, a lot of people conflate a big arm with automatic deep passing prowess. And that's just not the case. You know, you had Peyton Manning who didn't have much of a deep arm at all or much of a big arm. And he was a prolific deep passer, especially in the 2013 season. And then you have guys who have big arms and they're not good down the field, whether it's accuracy issues or or chemistry problems. And I think exactly to your point, we saw Locke struggle in that area. I kind of want to move to a game. Before we kind of get into listener questions, how specifically do you think Pat Shermer's offense could really help Locke? 
I think it'll accentuate what Locke does well in to your you you mentioned it in terms of the quick snap decisions outside his you know throwing on those quick outs the flat concepts I think some of that will get Locke more locked in in terms of a uh, get Locke locked in you like it um, <laughs> I think it'll get him in more of a rhythm in games. I think that's one of the things he struggled with as well as you just didn't really see him get in much of a, a rhythm other than maybe the Houston game. Shermer's offense will bring that for sure. And then I do think that it'll open up some of the things on some of those, you know, the slot fades or maybe some of those corner routes and give him an opportunity to, to try to work on some of those deep passing concepts. I remember watching Drew Locke's Missouri tape quite a bit last year, because again, I was really sure that LA was in love with him. And he was a pretty darn good deep passer. So I'm not really concerned with that kind of stuff. I just think the offense kind of needs to set him up. And I think he needs the time to work it out. And I think that's one of the things that Pat Shermer's offense will help in the fact that, I mean, the Buzz Lightyear memes aside, it, is, it was concerning to me that Locke was so reliant on an armband. It was funny until it wasn't because you don't really want a rookie staring at an armband with one second left on the clock. And Drew Locke was doing that in the Kansas City game. So I think the fact that Shermer's offense won't be as complicated to learn will probably help with that. And I think if Locke isn't having to think about the play call one second before the play call, it'll probably help him be a better passer after the snap. Yeah, totally okay. agree. Is there anything about the Shermer offense that can concerns you for Locke specifically? The one, the one big concern I can have off the top of my head isn't really even Shermer specifically. I, I think there's there's an enormous amount of pressure on the Broncos to make sure they really patch up the receiving core this year. And I know I just said it wasn't the receiving core's fault that Locke was missing deep passes. But at the same time, and I've said this before, I don't think Tim Patrick is a number two receiver on a good team. And I like Tim Patrick a lot. I think they need another receiver. And I, I don't necessarily want them to do it in free agency. I think that there's some guys out there that they could get to kind of give them a patch and maybe gamble on. But I hope that they definitely prioritize taking advantage of this draft. Because one of the things that really stood out to me from week 13 on, which is when Drew Locke was entered in the lineup, Rich Gangarello actually cut 11 personnel down. He used it only 39% of the time. And they used more 12 and 22 personnel, 47% of the time. And I think that a lot of that is the personnel questions and also the questions about the offensive line. But the fact that Pat Shermer likes using 11 so much means that they need to have the players to do it. And that puts a lot of pressure on Elway to not only pick a player, but pick the right player. And I hope he can do it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. To me, on the Shermer offense, one of the things that potentially concerns me is, and it's one of the things we talked about last week with Pat Shermer's offense is that it's not necessarily it's not that he doesn't but it's not necessarily going to be scheming guys open all the time and one of the things if you dig into the next gen stats separation stats for receivers you had Darius Slayton and Golden Tate were both probably bottom third in the league in terms of separation that they had from their defenders when the ball was thrown or when they were targeted and it was right in line, Cortland Sutton was higher than that, but it was, they were both lower than Sutton, but it was kind of that same deal where you're typically throwing to guys, you know, they're in traffic, they're covered. And I, I don't think it necessarily speaks to Slayton and Tate's ability to get open. It's just more from a conceptual standpoint, what they're doing. And 
with Locke's accuracy, potentially his accuracy issues, I think he's got to tighten that up and be pinpoint, and they've got to get on the same page of exactly you know where they get, where they like the ball to be thrown and things like that. And there were some improvements as I talked about in terms of placement and helping guys you know throwing them open or leading them not into danger and things like that. But to me, that's one of the things that concerns me is that it it forces you to make those kind of throws, contested throws, uh, more often than, you know, potentially another offense. Yeah, same. That's uh, And then the last thing with that, too, is the fact, and it builds off of it, one thing I don't like about the Pat Shermer offense as much as I liked about the Shanahan slash Scangarello offense, Scangarello and Shanahan use motion an insane amount compared to most of the league. And you could really see how Scangarello was doing that to help lock. You really see it in the Lions game because they again they they expected the Lions to come out and use a lot of man, and by using as much motion as they did, Locke was able to figure it out pretty quickly that they were in zone, and I think that helped him not make critical mistakes in that game back when it was tight. So I'm I'm hoping that Shermer kind of implements it a little bit more because he did. There, there's a big difference between Shermer's 2017 offense and his 2019 offense in that regard, but I hope he uses it even more. Yeah, you've got to be able to give your young quarterback clues, you know, whether it's via formation or via motion, giving him as much information pre-snap as you can. So totally agree. So for the last piece, want to just go quick, quick hit, um, fire zone style through these questions from our listeners and readers on Mount High Report, or if you follow us on Twitter and have dropped us a question, we're going to try to get through them. This is, we were thrilled and uh, flattered that you guys had all these questions for us to talk about on the show. And so want to get to each and every one of those. So we're just going to go rapid fire down the line and start talking through them. Tracer Ridgeway asked, is the lack of barn burning production against lesser secondaries outside of Houston concerning in any way, or do you think it's a product of conservative play calling? I don't think it's concerning necessarily because we saw the running game struggling as well. And so I think it was just, an, you know, the lack of overall production was just overall offensive production and not necessarily, you know, his inability to exploit weak secondaries. Agreed. I looked up, the football outsiders DVOA stats for Denver's offense this year, three of the worst rushing games of the year all came over Drew Locke's starts. And I think part of that was the fact that the, the opposing defenses were trying to isolate Locke. But I also think because of that, he was left on an island trying to carry the offense. Yeah. And I mean, for the Chargers game specifically, it was the running game was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Joey Boza and Melvin Ingram were just you know, blowing up the offensive line and Denver had a lot of offensive line turnover in those last five games too. And so it really wasn't the most ideal scenario for Drew Locke to walk into in terms of offensive help around him. So Pangzo had a question. Do you think that Drew Locke made his receivers, especially Deshaun Hamilton better or was the competition just bad? I don't know that he necessarily made them better. I think there's still some ways to go there. And a lot of it goes to what we talked about with the, you know, the chemistry. And I mean, I think he did show some better ball placement. He threw some guys open. We've talked about it. He protected Deshaun Hamilton on a nice throw over the middle. But I don't know that he necessarily elevated the entire offense like you would you know, want a franchise quarterback to do in those five games just because he's just not there yet. He's still young. Out in top scouting had two questions. What was the biggest difference between his first game and his fifth game? You take this one, Joe. Eyes. I thought it was eyes. 
uh, his eyes, and then I thought the fact that he was able to make throws after kind of coming off his first read, it really showed up. You watch watch the Chiefs game and then watch the Lions game, and it's night and day. Love it. What consistently was present in each game that provides you hope for a positive trajectory? So Mountaintop had two questions. What's the last yep. one? What about that one? I mean, this plays into what I think is Drew Locke's biggest strength is the fact that his arm talent is phenomenal. This this coming NFL draft class is coming out, and Justin Herbert's coming out. And the big thing that people are talking about Justin Herbert is his arm talent. And granted, Justin Herbert is a project quarterback in a lot of the same ways that I think Locke is. But one of the things I really like about Locke that I don't see as much in Justin Herbert's game is Locke can make plays outside of structure at a better... He looks more comfortable outside of structure than when I've watched Oregon. And that's one of those things that gives me a lot of hope going forward because it's both a negative and a positive because it, you kind of hope he fixes some of the things that he does in those broken play situations. But he has a knack for making plays even when the offense is wrong. And because of that, he can make the offense better than it really is. He makes his offensive coordinator right. So we could both do this one. Can you give a rating on ability to process and hit second and third options? We've talked about this a little bit. I think I'd give it a C, um, just average. I think I think he improved in that regard. We've talked about it over the last two games against the Lions and the Raiders. He's not incredible at it yet, uh, but he's not bad. Yeah, I think that's C's about right. I think he was a little bit better at it than Daniel Jones was in the games I've watched Daniel Jones play, but he's a rookie. I hope he makes a big improvement there. Do we have a pro comp dialed in for Locke yet? Aaron Wagner asks. So I'm going to go with John Elway mixed with Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning. No, I it's five games. I, I I don't do pro comps unless they're just a really really natural fit. And I don't I see Locke when I watch Locke. I think the Cutler comps coming out aren't totally inaccurate, and that's not a bad in a in a not bad way. Do you think that Drew Locke can compete with Patrick Mahomes? I don't think anybody can compete with Patrick Mahomes right now. I think Denver has to put a plan together to get an offense that can hang with them a little bit and then, you know, hope for the defense under Fangio to continue to grow and be able to slow them down, which they've been able to do in the last, you know, couple seasons. You think of the Case Keenum year in 2018, Denver nearly beat Patrick Mahomes on his MVP tear, and he was a, you know, Case Keenum missed throw to Debarius Thomas away from beating the Chiefs in 2018. And so it's definitely possible, I just think, if you expect to go toe-to-toe, you know, from a quarterback perspective, Patrick Mahomes is going to win that every time. And so you've got to get some help from your defense and control the game and really play it on your terms. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the big things I've been trying to argue with people about on Twitter is that everyone's saying, let's just draft the offense, let's just build the best offense ever. If, if you're just hoping to get into a, a shooting match with the Chiefs, you're probably not going to win. And I think you wrote a piece a while back kind of highlighting the fact that Denver's really stressed offense in their last few drafts. And because of that, the defense has kind of started to fall behind. And again, granted, Vic Fangio really made chicken salad out of some problems last year. But if you're going to try and hang with the Chiefs, you're going to need a team on both sides of the ball, especially right now until – Mahomes' contract hopefully kind of messes up their balance. You you can't ignore both sides of the ball. So I don't think Drew Locke can get in a shooting match with Patrick Mahomes and win. I think Drew Locke with Vic Fangio's defense could beat the Chiefs. 
And that's a perfect teaser for either the episode coming next or we may take a break for the combine depending on how things shake out. But it'll be coming up soon is a deep dive into Fangio's defense. So that'll be that'll hopefully whet your appetite a little bit for that because we'll talk specifically about that and what Joe just mentioned in terms of Denver's focus on the offense and how much they should focus on the defense. So let's wrap it up. And the question is from Daniel Fernandez. He wants to know, without orange shades, so we're taking our orange and blue glasses off. We're not Bronco fans right now. Do you think that there's a good chance that Drew Locke is the real deal? I'll let you start, Joe. I don't think we know. And I think that's okay. I think we know that Drew Locke is good enough to be the quarterback this year instead of having to chase Tom Brady or Phillip Rivers or Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton or Justin Herbert or any of those quarterbacks. I think it's he's good enough to give us a chance this season. I think having him on that rookie deal has a good chance to be good enough to be better than the quarterbacks Denver's had lately. But five games in, I'd be guessing if I told you that I think he's going to be the next Pro Bowl franchise quarterback for the Broncos. So we'll see. Yeah, I would totally agree and echo that. And I think one thing, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way, I think Drew Locke currently and the plan with him is everything that we wanted and hoped out of Paxton Lynch in that it's a raw, really toolsy guy who needs a lot of development and we just want to you know, get him on a rookie contract, get him in here, let him start and watch him grow. And I think that's what Locke has shown the ability to be that guy and you can hand the keys to him and say, you know, let's see what we can do with you. That's what we wanted out of Paxton Lynch in 2016. We wanted to build a good defense around him and really kind of just see where he could go. Obviously that didn't pan out, but I think Drew Locke has that opportunity to kind of rebuild with a young quarterback. And so I think that's what he gives you. And that doesn't mean he's a, the real deal yet. I think he's got a long way to go to prove that, but he's certainly on the right track. At least it looks like right now. I think Paxton Lynch is a great comparison too. And the fact that the big thing that really separated Paxton Lynch from really making it is the fact he just didn't seem to want it. That's, that's kind of the thing that stands out with Drew Locke is he has Peyton Manning offering to work with him in this off season. He has John Elway in the same building. Like if Drew, if Drew Locke has all the physical talent, if he wants to work at it, the sky is really the limit. Yeah. And I think that's one piece quickly before we finish that we haven't touched on with Locke because we are, you know, we're, we're focused on what we can see on the tape and, and what he does on the field. But I think the intangible side, you can't ignore that in a quarterback specifically. And I think Locke shows all the intangibles that one Paxton Lynch didn't have, but then also that you want to see out of your young rookie quarterback in terms of the guys in the locker room, loving him and rallying around him. He shows great leadership. He shows great work ethic. He's great in front of the media. And I think, He's the guy that you, you know, you want to be the face of your franchise. Whether he will be that, who knows, but he's got all the stuff off the field that you want in your franchise quarterback. It was fun, Jeff. Absolutely. We'll do it again next week. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for all the questions that came in. Like we said, we'll be talking about Vic Fangio's defense. We'll talk a little bit about the combine as well, I'm sure, coming up with the draft and free agency and all that Um, coming up soon and so stick with us thanks for listening to cover two broncos and find us on twitter and, and let's keep talking